now back together. We will be continuing our exposition in the book of Hebrews. If you'll find your place there, we now have entered chapter 13. Some of you probably thought, are we ever going to leave chapter 12? We were there for quite a while. Um, And what a rich chapter that was. And so we will continue. We're going to look at the first three verses of um, uh, chapter 13 today. You know, when our culture tries to define love, what do they, how do they define it? Next week, there's something on the calendar, you know, like Valentine's Day, hearts, little mushy I loves you, maybe for some it's a, it's a mushy Hallmark movie or something like that, you know, that has a quaint little uh, twist to it. And, and, and this pop culture images of cupids and hearts are ingrained in us from a very, very young age. And um, these are far from the biblical meaning of what love is. It's an emotion that issues forth in action. Love's source is not some uh, cheesy novel or, or whatever, but it comes from Christ alone. An old quote is that love is the circulatory system of the church. If the arteries get clogged, Right? If they get clogged, the church is in danger of spiritual cardiac arrest. And so love is absolutely essential. One key evidence to spiritual maturity in our lives is the the depth of our love that we have one for another. And when you see that in action, that points to a spiritual maturity. Love, biblical love, is the badge of the Christian, it's the badge of the Christian. Just like the Coca-Cola trademark that's been around for about 110 years or more hasn't changed much in over 100 years. Minor little tweaks to the logo, but the logo is essentially the same. And we've come to recognize it. We don't need to see Coca-Cola next to the logo. We know what it is, right? So too, the trademark or the hallmark of the true Christian is that he loves his brothers and sisters Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as you want your children to obey in public because they represent your family, so too us as the children of God. Love love is the, the oxygen of the kingdom of God. It's what we breathe in. It's what we, we thrive on. One man said, love never asks, how much must I do? But it asks, how much can I do? It's not like, what, what's the bare minimum? And I'll, I'll meet that need, the bare minimum, but I don't want to do more. No, love wants to be all in. Amen? Amen. All right, let's follow along. I'm going to read the first six verses, which is a unit that I'll develop <clears throat> in the coming weeks. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this, Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself has said, 
I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Father, we do want to humble ourselves as we come to your word because we recognize that it is authoritative, that it is God-breathed. We recognize that, that the word of God can pierce both joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So would you be pleased to assist the weak one that is preaching? Would you be pleased to pour out your spirit upon this place that we would have insight and understanding, especially as we consider these practical a practical application, really, from the entire book that we've been learning. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time, for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. <clears throat> well, you'll remember chapters 1 to 12 has really been what? An exposition of the Old Testament, a really rich Christology, which sets Christ as the one that's superior to what? angels, the Levitical priesthood, and and all all of that in the New Covenant, superior to the Old Covenant. And he ended this last section of of chapter 12, 25 to 29, there was the fifth warning section. He would give exposition, a little bit of other, not that there hasn't been application throughout, there certainly has been, but he would give warnings, strong warnings, don't go back to the synagogue. It's a Jewish church experiencing persecution from the Romans, but also from the Jews. And so the warning sections are needed. It was needed for them. They're needed for us. And he says here, look at verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And we developed that quite a bit, because if you look at the previous verse, it says that Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It pleads mercy and forgiveness. So don't refuse him who is speaking. How many times has Jesus said, let him who has ears, let him hear, right? Again and again, the command is given. And then there's this shaking up, a voice that shook the earth, obviously pointing back to that Mount Sinai scene in 18 to 21, but there's a future shaking that's coming. And and then in verse 28 and 29 was really kind of the application of the section. Therefore, since... We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. What's our response? Let us show gratitude, right? Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God acceptable service with reverence and awe. And why should we do that? For our God is a consuming fire. So that's sort of, uh, we'll see how that is linked. In fact, this This consuming fire is now met with. The chapter divisions are not inspired. It just would continue to flow. So the the consuming fire now, the practical application, let love continue. It's intensely practical. It's keep on loving all the brothers and sisters. He goes from fire to function. It goes from the vertical to horizontal. How are we to interact with one another? The acceptable service that the, that the uh, writer is, is telling us to render goes beyond one day a week, right? It goes beyond Sunday. It's, it's, a, it's a way of life. All of life is worship in a sense, right? Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 21 set before us the application 
of 1228. Let us show gratitude that we can offer acceptable service with reverence and all. So think of this. Here's his application to that profound truth. All of life is worship. We saw the beautiful doctrinal truths, expositions of the Old Testament, the warnings, the beautiful Christology, all of that, that Christ is superior to all. So what does he do? He takes his pen and he goes to the imperative mode. That is a command. And it's command after command after command. I think in my email I put it, and he pulls out the AK-47 of application, right? And that's really what the way this chapter flows in the original. They're commands after another, after another. He doesn't, there's a diverse topics that he covers. He doesn't really stop and develop each one thoroughly, right? But he, he assumes that, 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 that we have a basic Christian knowledge, and so it's not necessarily necessary to expound each one extensively. You'll remember, we'll see in a few weeks, he, he, he calls the, the whole letter, I've written you this, it's a brief exhortation, he says at the end of the letter. Love for other believers reveals the fact that we have passed from from spiritual death to spiritual life. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, that you love one another. And are we here at Great Grace Bible Church, a church that loves one another? What is the triune's God's uh, assessment of the body life that we have here? And I just, I'd be wrong to not commend you for how already in so many ways you demonstrate this love. The care and the concern that you have, most of you one for for another, the, the, the meeting tangible needs, the serving each other in love and with humility. You are to be commended in many ways. Now remember, there's another church that Paul was writing to in the Thessalonians where he says, now as to love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught from God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But I urge you, what? Excel still more, is what he says. So there's always room for improvement. There's always room to excel So we're going to look at this under three points. Obviously, each verse would be its own point. Continue in loving the brethren, and then we're going to see showing love through hospitality. Then we're going to see showing love through remembering those in prison and the ill-treated. So, three points today. Continue loving the brethren. Don't stop continuing to love. This brotherly love, it's, uh, the word he uses is let it love remain. Let this brethren, brotherly love remain. Let it continue. It's a command. Let it continue. That, the word remain or continue in your versions is a command. It would appear that brotherly love was possibly beginning to wane in this Jewish church, a Jewish Christian church. Charles Spurgeon said, the word continue implies that the brotherly love exists and that in many things, that there are many things that might put an end to it. So see to it that as far as you are concerned, that it continues under all provocations and under all disappointments, let brotherly love continue. That brotherly love in the original is where we get the word Philadelphia. So when I say Philadelphia, don't think of the city of Philadelphia that's got rocket high crime rates and murders. That's not the kind, that's not what he's saying to continue. 
right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a poor choice for a city like Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. But outside of the Bible, the extra-biblical use of this word, the Philadelphia, always, let me mark it well, always spoke of sibling love, brother and sister. Isn't that remarkable? That, 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 that this Greek word, the, the New Testament writers would actually take and then apply to us that are from all different backgrounds, all different nationalities, all different colors of skin, and he would apply it to us to love of the brethren. Because in the New Testament, we are what? Children of God. Right? We're children of God. We're, we're joint heirs with Christ. And so in a sense, we are siblings. Isn't that beautiful? So, in order to love well horizontally, we must know how to love vertically. We must have experienced God's love for us in Christ, and then to love God in response, right? And then we're able to love others. And there's a warning, right? I mean, think of the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, um, when Jesus says, you know, he commends them for this and that and this and that, but he says, but this I have against you, that you've left your first love. So you know the mark? If you're having a hard time loving others practically and, and sincerely, right? Maybe you've left your first love. Because you get your first love back, and that's just going to flow natural, isn't it? It's going to flow natural. So we must love each other graciously, sacrificially. First Corinthians, the, the beautiful love chapter, right? Even before God saved me, I mean, I saw little plaques and frames of 1 Corinthians 13. Isn't that cute? Yeah, well, that's, that's God's Word. And he begins it like this, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's like when your grandparents gets little Caleb a little drum set, and he's not quite trained yet. Maybe he's a great drummer. I don't know, Joshua. But, uh, and he just starts, bang, bang, bang. You know, it's like, ah! Send it back to grandma's, right? Or something like that. Sorry, Lily. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so this idea of this noisy gong. Remember that 70s show, the gong show? Does anybody remember that? I, I'm gonna have to, I can't refer to that much anymore because I only saw a few heads. But, but there would be a skit, it'd be a game show, and you'd have to do a dance routine or some musical number, and, and if, it, if it failed... They'd go, bong, like you're a failure, <laughs> like you didn't measure up. That's kind of the idea here, clanging cymbals. But let's bring it up to the 21st century. Have not love, we might have a noisy blog, or noisy and harsh social media post, right? It could be like that. It could be even, even a sense of, uh, uh, um, of an angry Twitter post. Something along those lines. You see, we people of God boast about holding to our confession of faith, all the doctrines of grace, and all of those things we can come off arrogant and we can come off like a clanging symbol when we boast about those things. First John four eighteen, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Maybe you say, I love most of the brethren. There's one or two that just get on my nerves. Anybody relate to that? 
Uh, this is not a confession, but, uh, but, but there, there is, you know, sometimes it's hard to love the unlovable, right? But we have to mortify that. We have to crucify that. But if you're going around like that without that convicting you, that's driving a wedge into the church. Jesus, who left all of his glory to come to rescue ruined sinners. Let's face it. We're, we, we stink. We're, we're sheep that's in the mud. We're dirty. And yet Jesus wanted to come to dwell among us. And he loves us unconditionally. And that's how we must love others. Remember what it said earlier in chapter 2? Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Wow! How motivating should that be? So love must continue. It must remain. Love can grow cold. And hence this exhortation in our um, midweek community group, we just happened to come on a, a heavy dose of love section in and, and 1 John 3, and so this theme's been percolating all week with this prep and the prep from Thursday. Uh, in 3.10 it says, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. If anyone who does not practice righteousness is not for God, not from God, and no one can love his brother. Later in chapter 4 I'll say, beloved, if God so loved us, let us love one another. Now, I want you to listen to me right now, okay? I want everyone's attention. I want to ask you something. Is there somebody in this church that you have an offense with? Is there somebody that, 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 that you've been offended by or you feel like you might have offended them? I want you to think about that. Now, did somebody pop into your mind? You don't have to nod. Okay, now think again. Is there anybody else besides that person? Well, this kind of love demands that you make that right and keep short accounts. Go and confess your sin if need be. Um, you know, make it right because this acceptable worship and showing gratitude and worship with reverence and awe and acceptable service requires that we make that right and keep short accounts. And if it's something small, like I, I said hi to somebody out by the snack, you know, where we have fellowship out there, and they just kept walking and didn't acknowledge me. Well, maybe they didn't hear you. Maybe they didn't see you. And so there, love covers a multitude of sins. There's nothing intentional. There's no malice there. But we need to keep short accounts. D.L. Moody once said, A man can be a good doctor without loving his patients. A good lawyer without loving his clients, a good geologist without loving science, but he cannot be a good Christian without love. So continue in love. Secondly, verse 2, let us show love by being hospitable one to another. What, what's being commanded here? Hospitable. Well, you might think of the, the motel, hotel industry and you know, all, all of this. No, not, not that. Don't think of that. You might think of Martha Stewart living or something and de decorating and, the, you know, nope, get that out of your mind too. And, and you might think it's, oh yeah, well, I mean, I have my buddies over every Friday night and we hang out. No, it's more than just having the same people over and over again and again. Biblical hospitality. It should, should come naturally to us and in our 21st century uh, culture of which we live, where we, 
you know, even with our neighbors, we press the garage door opener, we slip into the garage, and we close the garage so we don't even have to face our neighbors. And that, then we're dealing with that kind of culture, and we need to be counter-cultural. And so, but it, involve, it should be natural because the gospel has come to us, and we want to bless others like that. He says, don't neglect. That's the imperative. Neglect with the do not. And so don't neglect and, and, and this implies there's the possibility that they were neglecting it. Why, why would this first century church be neglecting? I mean, we read Acts 2. I mean, they got all things they're sharing and all of this, right? They're putting all their money in. Well, why might they be neglecting this? Well, we could think of their particular situation. What I just referenced was in Jerusalem, this, they're in Rome, most likely, and so there's Romans, there's persecution, there's, there might carry some risk to have a bunch of people over, all Christians, right, with the Romans and so forth. So maybe there was something like that, or maybe they were allowing their love to grow cold for one another. Maybe they weren't adhering to verse 1, which naturally is going to have you not wanting to be around others. Could have been something like that. The word literally means love of strangers. It's showing hospitality to strangers. Xenia is the root of stranger. Well, we're all familiar with Francis and Edith Schaefer in Labrie in England, especially in the 70s and through the 90s. Great thriving ministry there. Edith has written in her book, The Hidden Heart, um, it tells of feeding the occasional vagrant that would come by. They would stop and knock on the door. May I have a cup of coffee, ma'am? Or do you have some bread to spare? Edith would invite them in, sit them down, and then go and prepare a tray of food fit for a king. Steaming soup, thick sandwiches, cut and arranged artfully on a plate with garnishes. The children would make a tiny bouquet of flowers, and, and if it was dusk, they would, they would add a candle to the tray. And in amazement, the man would gra- gasp, for me? For me? Just a fragrant. And Edith would respond, yes, this is for you, and the coffee will be up in a minute. And here's a Gospel of John for you that you might find useful in your journeys. That's a good picture of loving strangers, isn't it? Love is not limited to words, brethren. We need to demonstrate through action. Love should be in action. Isn't that how God's loved us? Don't just pull back the, the clouds. I love you down there. He sent His Son, His only Son, to be brutally treated, to die as a substitute for us. Ruined sinners, stinky sheep. He's demonstrated his love. We need to demonstrate our love to the brethren. Amen? Amen. Why is this so needful in the early church? Well, as you know, most of you, I'm sure, the first century ends were notorious for being foul and wicked places. Uh, Prostitution, there was all types of immorality. They were not clean. Uh, They weren't safe. And so Christian travelers would, would, needed to know that there was a believer on the other end that could receive them and house them as they traveled around. 
You see a little bit of that in 3 John, receiving missionaries who are traveling and opening up the home. The exhortation was there. One first century writer put ends on the level of running a brothel. There was a first century pagan satirical writer, Lucian, and he describes in, in his writings the protagonist, um, Pochus Perenius, and, and that, that he would go around pretending to be a believer and then taking advantage of Christians. Maybe to bring it down to concrete terms, uh, how many of you have read or seen Les Mis? The play, the movie, whatever? Nobody. You should really go see it. It's really good. Okay, there's... Anyway, in Les Mis, well, this... I'm going to say it anyway. The Tenardiers. You remember them? They're the ones that, that open up... They, they have this uh, a place with rooms and a, and a restaurant. This is 17th or 18th century France. And, and, and what do they do? They, they mistreat the guests. They steal from them. They deceive them. That's the negative example of not how to have hospitality. So the call for us, contributing to the needs of the saints, Paul says in Romans 12, practicing hospitality. And, and, and really for elders, it's, it's not an optional thing. It's, it's really required of all of us, but it's absolutely required of pastors and elders to be hospitable. So how can you do this? How can you apply this? Well, give a warm welcome to visitors that are visiting the church. Even be prepared to just, sometimes we would just have extra food and, and just being able to invite a new family over in addition to others. Um, plan to have people over maybe once a month. I mean, we've got an electronic church directory right on your iPhone app. You can just kind of go right down the list. Or you can strategically plan who might benefit the most. Singles, those that have been sick, uh, maybe widows. You know, you can be strategic like that as well. But what a great time to get to know each other. And then be willing to open up your home uh, to those that may need a place to stay for a few days or somebody that's in, uh, you know, in town for the, for the weekend. Um, Raul and Lydia Torres, the missionary, RBNet missionaries that we support in Juarez, Mexico, are coming here next month to present their work before his visa expires. And there's going to be an opportunity for Grace Bible Church to put them up uh, in between the Lord's days, uh, perhaps for two to four days, they might be in the San Diego area. It shouldn't be that, that we say, we're looking for somebody to help and beg. It should be, I, I want to meet that need. Let me meet that need. What an honor. What a privilege, you know. And they'll be with us for a couple of days, but there may be opportunity for others to host as well. We're still waiting for the schedule. And here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Everything that I've been saying, you know what our flesh does? Sometimes it complains. We can complain, right? I just had the house clean. We're going to have that family with those little kids. Did you see all the crumbs under the table after we had them last time? Right? We can, be, we can fall into that kind of a, a mentality. We can begin to make excuses. Well, remember that family last time, the little girl vomited on the couch, and that's not real pleasant. We just barely got the stain out, right? We can, we can think like that. I know these are humorous. Um, or, you know, last time the, the, the toilet got clogged. Or, for, I'm giving you some real-life examples here. Um, or, you know, those, those boys were so rambunctious, they 
pounded the bathroom door open and put a hole in the wall. You know, I mean, you know, these things happen, but you know what? That's just part of what it's like. It's okay. It's only stuff. Inconvenience yourself. Yeah, but this is a really busy week for me. I don't think I can do that next week. That's a really busy week. Or, or, I'm really tired. I just, you know, sometimes I just need to rest. Well, according to Hebrews, we're on the what? We're running the race of the Christian life, right? And in and, and Hebrews 4, we're promised rest in heaven. So Peter makes it plain. Be hospitable one to another without complaint. Here's another one. Don't allow pride and perfectionism to hold you back. Like the house isn't absolutely perfect. So don't allow that to hold you back. Maybe it hasn't been dusted, but just realize that every time you have people over, it doesn't require pulling out the fine china and having the house absolutely perfect. Right? We've even used, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, depending on the day and the commitments and all of that, just fancy paper plates. Not the, not the Costco ones that plop, you know, because remember, we don't want to have to pick up all the food, so you use good paper plates. So, hospitality is a demonstration of love. And um, I think it was the first couple years we were married, we were kind of erring more on, oh, we got to get this clean and this put away like that. And then eventually, you know, I saw a sign somewhere that says, uh, um, welcome to our home, pardon the mess, but people live here. Hey, right? You can all relate to that. Rosaria Butterfield has a beautiful book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she herself was converted by Christians, particularly one couple, that invited her repeatedly into their home, even though she was a homosexual. And they loved her unconditionally. And obviously she came to faith, an incredible testimony if you don't know about it. Google it, but she says this, two quotes. We introverts miss out on the great blessings when we excuse ourselves from practicing hospitality because it exhausts us. I often find people exhausting. But over the years, I've learned to pace myself how to prepare for the private time necessary to recharge and how to grow in discomfort. The focus on our book is providing um, hospitality even to strangers and unbelievers, um, a good part of it, um, that we might win them to Christ. She says this in another place, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home is a, in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors in the family of God. Well, the text says <clears throat> uh, there, and some have entertained angels without knowing it. That's our second sub-point here. Well, we're having people over this Saturday, I think next Saturday, this next come, upcoming Saturday, and we're not going through the list thinking, oh, I wonder which one might be an angel. Or Aaron's having some people over today. Maybe he's uh, thinking, wow, I wonder which, one's a, which one could be an angel. No, I don't think we're supposed to be thinking like that. Um, Kent Hughes is helpful. He says, by pre- presenting the delectable possibility of hosting a real angel. The preacher is not promoting hospitality as a chance that one might luck out and get an angel. I'm not rolling the dice. Um, but that was simply saying that the possibility of it happening indicated how much God 
prizes hospitality among his people. I think the writers referred to Abraham several times in this letter. He's probably thinking of Abraham. That's why I have Genesis 18. And we see what happens, right? The three come, one's uh, Theophany and, um, and the two angels. And I think the author's intent is to encourage us along the lines of, did you, when, we were, when Hector was reading, did you notice when, when this happened? rushed to get water to wash their feet. He hurried in to Sarah, and he ran to get a lamb to slay. I mean, there was an urgency and all that for unexpected guests. And so I think that's the idea, setting up Abraham as a model. But have we entertained anyone like that? Well, maybe. I don't know. We don't know. We'll find out. But biggest of all, Jesus himself says that when we welcome strangers, we receive Christ himself. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. So what are some motives to biblical hospitality? As you open up your home and seek to be a blessing to others, you yourself will often be even more blessed. I can testify to that. And in, in one's home, over the table, in a relaxed environment, in, in edifying conversation, we grow in our love for one another. It can be quite a spiritual experience. Another reason to share love with strangers who do not even know Christ and neighbors and co-workers, is that you can love them unconditionally and evangelistically. I look back on our guest book, many of you have signed it over nearly 26 years, and to go back all the way to the beginning and think of all the different people that, have, that, that we've been able to host by God's grace, not even thinking of the investment of time or the resources, but thinking how blessed we were to have these people in our home. Well, Let's look at our third point. We've seen let love continue. Don't neglect hospitality, which is a manifestation of love. And this is a manifestation of love. Remember the prisoners and the ill-treated. Let love of the brethren continue by remembering the prisoners. How can we show love to those who don't have freedom? Those that we cannot invite into our home but long for us to come and visit them. The readers must think of the prisoners and feel for them sympathetically as though they were in prison alongside. Again, we have another command in the original, the remember. It's a present command. Be continually remembering is the idea. To continue to remember, it means to recall information from memory, but without necessity necessarily implying that one has forgot what is being recalled. Um, It's more than the mental act of not forgetting. It's remembering, in a sense, and responding with compassion and love, if that makes sense. As though in prison with them, as though bound with them. And Christians were very concerned for fellow Christians in the first century because of the lack of care and provision that they would receive when in prison. In fact, prisoners in the first century were 100% dependent upon family and friends and church members to bring resources for them. 
We see Paul even talking about bringing my coat so they didn't provide clothing and all of that. Get the modern-day prison out of your head, okay? That's an anomaly. The taxpayer-funded prisons that have uh, workout centers, that have three hot meals, have clothing, dental care, medical care. Get that out of your head. That is just something that really has just come about in the last 100, 150 years. Probably less than 100 years, really. Turn back to chapter 10. These people knew what it was like to be prisoners and those that were in prison. It was actually pretty common with all the Roman slave trade. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon. I'm in the wrong chapter. Go back to 1032. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, what is that? Coming to faith. You endured a great conflict of sufferings. Oh, being enlightened, coming to Christ. Trials fits with our uh, prayer meeting devotional. Uh, and you were being a, um, a conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. And you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you yourselves have a better possession and a lasting one. So he says right there, you showed sympathy to the prisoners, and he's essentially saying the same thing here. What does Paul say in 2 Timothy um, 1.16? The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onithrasus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. He went to great lengths to go and visit Paul a considerable distance and hunted him down. And then what refreshed him, cared for him. We should remember those who we know that are in prison. uh, You know, the believers that we know that are in prison. Uh, Joseph, who we've been interacting with for nearly seven years down here at Donovan prison who hopes to get out and join our church and serve. He's growing uh, leaps and bounds in there. You can remember the persecuted church. You go to prisonalert.com and you'll have a list of those that are in prison, such as Pastor Lee Johnson. 182 days he's been imprisoned in China. Also a deacon called Zhang, 2,654 days imprisoned in North Korea. So we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those that weep. Remember what happened when Joseph, back in Genesis chapter 40, he sold into slavery, he's in, in the prison, right? The cupbearer and the chief baker there, he interprets dreams, and this is what he says in 40.14, only keep me in mind, like remember me, when it goes well for you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me before Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Of course, they did not remember, right? Paul says in Colossians 4.18, as he wraps up that letter, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Remember my imprisonment. Andrew Murray in his commentary says this, Remember them that are unbonds as bound with them, them that are evil treated as being yourselves also in the body. 
We know so well that our own body, and when one member suffers, all members suffer with it. The word points to a loving union with Jesus and his body on earth is close and real. The feeling of sympathy may and must be as quick and real as the spiritual as in the natural body. We are to feel towards the prisoners and the persecuted as if we ourselves are suffering. We have been admitted to a life in the home of the love of God. They who abide there will learn thus to love. And then also, remember, that just as we read about Jesus in Matthew 25, he goes on to say that as we do these things, remembering them, it's as though we're rendering service unto Christ. Because he says, I was in prison and you came to me. What did Jesus say? Well, or what did the people say? Well, when, when did we do that? As you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. The persecuted church today is something that should be heavy on our hearts. A clear application of this is remembering those who are ill-treated because of their profession of being Christians. The persecution of Christians is not limited to one or two countries. You have North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, India, just to name a few and many others. Gordon Conwell resources in the 21st century, it is estimated that between 100,000 to 160,000 Christians are killed for their faith each year. I've heard figures as much as 200,000. We are to show compassion on them who are mistreated for their faith, who are persecuted in various ways. You can imagine this first century family getting up on a Sunday morning, maybe having coffee or whatever they drank, and going off to church for Lord's Day's festivities and worship, and they come home and their house has been ransacked and precious, costly items stolen. That's the kind of persecution that they endured commonly. And sadly for us in the 21st century, uh, we think if we can't say God in the Pledge of Allegiance that that's some intense persecution that we're suffering or the poster of the Ten Commandments in the public school that had to come down. Persecution is real. Spurgeon says of the ill-treated, and being likely, therefore, to take your own turn of suffering and to need the sympathy of your fellow Christians, show sympathy to others while they need it, and they will gratefully remember you and your bonds and adversity when you need it. The persecution that goes on around the world is, is horrific. Nigeria tops the list of those that are martyred each year. There's more Christians that die in Nigeria than anywhere else. We we've, we've see it on the stories, the kidnapping of the schoolgirls and all of that. Forced slavery, human trafficking, and going into Christian villages that are thriving with the church there. And these extremists with machetes coming in and dismembering little children even cutting open the belly of a pregnant woman and ripping out the baby and killing it because she professes faith in Christ. That's the kind of brutal stuff that's going on. And then the human trafficking situation is really out of control. You think with all of our advancements, and yet it continues to get worse. That's why we pray for 
uh, ministries like Generate Hope and these types of things that minister to these young ladies. You think of COVID-19, you know, the, the mistreated. Do I think that some of the elderly that were in nursing homes and in the hospitals for the, the period during the pandemic and family members were not allowed to go in and see them, do I think that's mistreatment? Yes, mark it well. The intense loneliness, the thousands upon thousands that died and they could not see their family members. Well, now restrictions have been lifted, and did you know there's still a lot of elderly in nursing homes and retirement homes that have no one to see them? When we did that ministry, there were so many that were, you know, the families are on the East Coast, they fly mom out to the West Coast, it's sunny, it's blue skies, it's nice, and then they don't have to come and visit as often. Isn't that convenient? And they're very, very lonely. Let's remember these. And especially as believers, if if one member suffers, all the members suffer. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with him. Well, a couple concluding applications. First of all, we must be willing to identify with the imprisoned and mistreated. None of us can excuse ourselves with this, this idea that, well, I'm just... I'm kind of stoic. I'm an engineer. I'm not empathetic by nature, right? We can't. No, as a Christian, you need to have a tender heart. We must labor to have sympathy for those that are being treated in this way. In summary, just wrapping up from the, the last couple of weeks, remember we saw Mount Sinai and we saw Mount Zion and we stand at the foot of those two mountains and we gaze reverently at God's consuming fire, but also we see His consuming love for the people of God, and how that should move us. It's a paradox. C.S. Lewis has said, love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. You see that? It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's actually desiring the best for that person. Secondly, the Puritan William Gouge sums up the motives that should encourage us to pursue brotherly love. And I've uh, written down a, a few of these. Brotherly love is a grace absolutely necessary. It is the foundation whereon all duties that have relation to the brethren are erected. Two, brotherly love is one of the fairest and most glorious flowers in the Christian's garden. It makes men amiable before God and man. It sends forth a sweet, fragrant Savior wherever it goes. Three, such is the life and vigor of brotherly love as it puts on them and in whom it is all such duties. A stronger indication and enforcement thereunto cannot be given. Four, so violent and irresistible is the power of love as it will pass through all difficulties and overthrow all obstacles, it will not be hindered from doing the good it should do. Lastly, love is a salt which infuses a savory and wholesome taste into such things as would otherwise be fresh and flashy. A wholesome taste. Let us apply this message. Let 
Let brotherly love continue. Let's not neglect hospitality. And, and by the way, that's not the takeaway, isn't that I'm going to go home and just feel so guilty because it's been so long. No, just begin to make slow changes and, 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 and be open to these things, to be open to obeying this. And let's remember those that are ill-treated. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't, you're not going to be able to love the brethren because you haven't experienced what true love is the vertical love of God's love for you. Look to Jesus Christ, the one who came to die as a substitute. He's the only way of salvation. And once you have repented of your sins and came to Christ and He saved you, then you are then able to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is infallible. We thank You that it will not return void. Lord, have Your way in each and every heart today. And we pray for Grace Bible Church, Lord, that you would continue to allow love to thrive and that we would excel still more, Lord, that you would even be pleased to add to our numbers that, that others could experience this awesome benefit of the mutual love of the brethren. Thank you for this day of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.